0: Happy Holidays from the DSR Network. We are deeply appreciative of our members and the year that we've had. To celebrate the holiday season, we are offering a 50% discount on either your first month or first year of membership. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the members-only Slack community and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of December, You can take 50% off the membership price for the first month or for the first year. Visit thedsrnetwork.com buy and enter code DSRHOLIDAY at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSRHOLIDAY. Thank you very much for your support.
1: Hello, and welcome to the DSR Daily, our first DSR Daily for 2024. Happy New Year. I'm David Rothcuff, one of your hosts, joined by your other hosts, Chris Cottonware. How are you doing, Chris? Happy New Year.
0: Happy New Year. Doing great. Thank you.
1: And Riley Fessler, how's 2024 going for you, Riley? Um, Pretty well so far. Well, it's early yet. Um, It's obviously a year in which we've all got a lot to... Uh, Look forward to, I guess. Um, a lot of big stories looming, lurking out there in the year. We'll try to cover them for you with some degree of insight, and we'll try to repress our fear or exaltation at the outcomes. Um, well, our fear, anyway, our exaltation. I think we'll show that if anything like that ever happens. Chris, what's your first story for today?
0: So the first story is uh, Israel Israel's high court has nullified Benjamin Netanyahu's um, law aimed at restricting the court's authority over government decisions. Um, Critics of the law uh, said that the government was um, changing the courts to erode minority rights, making it harder to fight official corruption, paved the way for the annexation of the West Bank. Uh, The Supreme Court ruled um, in a razor thin vote of 8 to 7 um i'm really intrigued by this not not of of course uh the the fact that the law was um perhaps unconstitutional i don't know if that's the right term here um but the fact that they did it uh in in light of what's going on uh in gaza is frankly impressive i i i, I couldn't see I mean, we're our Supreme Court is facing a pretty big decision in the weeks, months ahead on uh, President Trump's or former President Trump's uh, ballot um, arguments. So you know I, I I think this is a really positive step. We'll see what happens, though now the country is facing a potential constitutional crisis.
1: Uh, yeah, well, it certainly is facing constitutional crisis. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu responded a little bit like you did, although in a slightly to- different tone when he said, you know, this is a threat to the country at a time of war they shouldn't have done. And apparently behind the scenes, the uh, Netanyahu team was trying to get the court to suppress the decision until after uh, the war. Um, there were, you know, more demonstrations for the removal of Netanyahu and his cabinet came out and responded to this whole thing with statements like um you know this is you know an overreach by the court the court shouldn't have this kind of power um uh, and so forth so it does set the stage for a constitutional crisis if Netanyahu and company seek in some way or another to ignore or overturn the court it should be noted the decision was 8 to 7 so it was a close decision um and uh Uh, So uh, we'll see how um, that evolves over time. Having said that, I think you're right. Uh, uh, And hopefully setting the the tone for 2024 as it is on its face. It was a success for the rule of law. Uh, It was pushed back to an effort to minimize or or weaken democracy in uh, Israel uh, and we in the United States ought to hope for both such things and that kind of courage from high courts across our country as well. Uh, and so in some uh, not so small way, it was a, a kind of a good way to start the year off. Uh, not so good way to start
2: the year off is uh, Riley's first story, I think. Yeah, a 7.6 magnitude earthquake hit Western Japan, uh, prompting tsunami warnings, and leading to at least 48 deaths so far, and numerous injuries. Uh, because of the quake, they had their most severe category of tsunami warnings since the 2011 triple disaster, which was the earthquake followed by the tsunami and the nuclear power plant meltdown, uh, and that disaster claimed 18,000 lives. Uh, this one is the largest recorded in the Noto Peninsula since 1885. Uh, causing extensive destruction in the province and surrounding prefectures. They've warned of possible aftershocks, um, which could be all the way up to magnitude 7 in the coming days. So it's clearly not over. I mean, that's nearly as intense as the initial quake. Um, so yeah, I mean, just sad to see. Japan obviously is especially um, subject to these earthquakes, just given its location um, on along fault, li- fault lines. Um, but nonetheless, sad to see, and hopefully the coming quakes are not as severe as they're expecting.
1: Yeah, um, uh, it was definitely a, a, a scary way to uh, start off the year in Japan, and I did see some of the pictures of some of the tsunamis and some of the damage and overnight uh, it became clear that there was much more damage than people initially had thought uh, as they uh, entered into the morning in Japan and they could see it. And there were some big fires. And, um, you know, having said that this is a country that is extremely experienced as you indicated with earthquakes. Um, uh, It is a country with an extremely uh, well-developed response system for these as as well as the healthcare system. Um, And, uh, uh so uh you know the uh the consequences of the quake however grave uh are are limited by the fact that japan is well prepared and and financially able to be prepared uh when quakes happen in smaller countries of this scale uh, usually the damage is much much greater by smaller i mean less affluent countries
0: um chris so while we were all um you know, enjoying time with our families over the holidays, Israel continued to pound Gaza, where uh, 22,000 plus Palestinians have died in the war. And over the weekend, David, you wrote a piece that I was kind of struck by. Um, I just want to quote this, the beginning, which was apparently killing 20,000 Palestinians, wounding another 50,000, displacing 2 million people. And having a ruling coalition that includes senior officials who actively support ethnic cleansing is not far enough to result in America diminishing or suspending its support for Israel's government. I saw that you tweeted this. um, I saw the article. And I also saw that your tweet said something along the lines of uh, you expected to lose friends over the peace. But I I, I wanted you to comment on it um, Say. It seems like enough is enough.
1: Well, it, I mean, it is. And, uh, I, you know, it's. It, I've been indicating this kind of a sense for, for a long time now in different pieces that I've written and here. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think we have reached beyond the point that enough is enough. I think the damage has been so great uh, that from the point of view of the United States, you have to ask, Is this in the United States' interest to carry on supporting Israel in the way that we have? Um, I I think perhaps I've been more patient than some people in this regard because I understand the motives of the Biden administration and respect the people involved. And I understand what they're trying to do is not only honor an alliance, but also influence that alliance. Uh, But the question is is it working? Are we influencing that alliance? We have said enable humanitarian aid we have said uh find ways to reduce the deaths to civilians we have said you cannot uh you know take over gaza once it's gone we have said ethnic cleansing is uh absolutely you know uh, uh unspeakable and and should not be discussed by senior officials and yet the netanyahu administration continues to do as it is done, and the death toll rises, and the toll of those uh, uh, killed or, or I mean, injured rises, and the destruction to Gaza continues to grow. Um, and as I've said before, on point after point, we have this resistance from the Israeli administration. And so, even though I believe that people in the administration are try U.S. administration are trying to push things in the right direction. Uh, I think it's time that everybody asks and say, well, if that's not working, what do we do? And if the Israelis are not getting the message, what do we do? Uh, And this is not, by the way, to say uh, Israel does not have a right to defend itself. It does. It's not to say that Hamas is not despicable. It is. It is not to say that Hamas should not be eliminated. It should be eliminated. But we in the United States, when fighting wars against foreign terrorist groups, as we did in uh, Iraq and uh, uh, Syria and, and, and across the region, uh, quickly came to realize that if you are running a counterinsurgency operation, the way you do it, the way you succeed is not massive destruction to the landscape uh, and to the civilian population, because that actually supports um, the message of the counter of the insurgent groups. Um, uh, but you have to do it in a much more systematic Painstaking, special operations led way, uh, which is much more surgical and recognizes uh, that uh, the people are not the enemy, it's the terrorists who are the enemy. And, uh, you know, the Israelis have resisted this. I do understand, particularly since I got some responses to this writing, not from senior administration officials, but from people close to them, that there is a kind of a sense that uh, the Israeli Uh, operation may be changed in scope um, by the end of this month, and there was an early sign yesterday that the Israelis uh, are withdrawing, although we do not know for how long or for what purpose, several thousand troops from Gaza, and so that may be an encouraging sign. Uh, but the Israelis do continue to say that they expect this to go on for months and months and months. And if these tolls continue to rise, uh, not only is it uh, not in the U.S. policy interest, and I think the U.S. needs to find another way to react, it's inhumane. It's indecent. It is not the way a civilized country should fight. Um, and uh, uh, so, you know, we are, we are at an impasse. Uh, and you've seen a ton of other stories to that effect. Uh, with uh, signs of frustration from President Biden, uh, from other senior U.S. officials, uh, with you know having an ally that they wanted to show that they were um, being loyal to, uh, showing complete disinterest in uh, U.S. policy priorities. Sorry to go on for that. If you want to read the article, it was at haaretz, an Israeli paper, dot com. One of the reasons I wrote it for Haaretz, rather than the Daily Beast or the other places I usually write, is I think it's important to understand that a lot of Israelis feel the way that I do. This is not just some outsider point of view. Uh, And there's a lot of Israeli frustration and disgust and horror at the way this war is being conducted, just like there's a lot of Israeli disgust and frustration and disgust with the Netanyahu administration, and that's why it's very, very dangerous for people to say uh, the Israelis are bad. They're not. This government, the Netanyahu government, is bad,
2: uh, and they need to go. Riley? Well, keeping uh, the focus on the Middle East, Iran's warship has entered the Red Sea, um, and it's a vessel part of Iran's naval fleet operating in the area since 2009, and their stated purpose is to secure shipping lanes and repel pirates, but I think it's no secret that this is coming amid heightened tensions in the Red Sea uh, after Yemen's Houthi rebels have launched numerous attacks on merchant vessels. Um, So we've talked on this show a couple times now about the kind of fears of escalating tensions in this area, especially in the Red Sea. And this seems to really confirm that, um, that over the last couple of weeks, some of the more escalatory actions were a Iran- top Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps commander was killed in an Israeli airstrike. Uh, the U.S. Navy struck Houthi rebels attempting to board a cargo ship. And the U.K. has expressed readiness for direct action against the Houthis uh, to protect freedom of navigation. So certainly a lot to kind of keep an eye on. A lot of, of troubling developments here. Um, we need to watch and be vigilant to ensure that this doesn't spiral. But um, definitely a worrying sign. Uh,
1: yeah, definitely a worrying sign. The Iranians have thus far, in a number of ways, uh, uh, sought to sort of keep the lid on this. Of course, they supported um uh, Hamas uh, and continue to. They supported the Houthis who have been firing projectiles and at, at, at merchant ships and they continue to. They have supported Hezbollah and they continue to. So they are certainly involved. Uh, but I think up to now, I think there was a sense that they did not want to see this turn and escalate into a region-wide conflict. Um, uh, and we'll have to watch this closely. Uh, they have also been uh, uh, on a track that uh, began before October 7th, um, uh, enriching uranium there, which will get them closer and closer to being able to create a nuclear weapon. Uh, That is something that the Israelis have long said would be a trigger for them escalating and going after Iran. Uh, And uh, particularly, going back to the last story, if the United States is putting more pressure on the Netanyahu administration and the Netanyahu administration is reading the handwriting on the wall regarding how the courts are viewing uh, the, uh, the, the, the government's efforts to deal with the courts. And uh, this also raises the sense of awareness within the office of the prime minister and within the prime minister himself that his um, uh, legal cases for corruption may go the other way sometime soon. Uh, then there's a, a number of incentives for Netanyahu to escalate, uh, to raise the stakes, to continue the war outside of the borders uh, of Israel and Gaza, and thus uh, perhaps create a distraction that could keep him in office. All these things suggest that, you know, as we watch this conflict, one of the things we have to watch most closely in the months ahead is the the risk of it escalating into something much more uh, widespread regionally and again the united states europeans chinese uh russians uh and who are not playing constructive role at the moment and any other country uh that has any influence over the region uh will need to uh act to avoid this turning into the kind of regional conflict which could also have extremely broad repercussions for the rest of the world um, so there, there, there we, there we are on that front to start the year with, you know, 2024 sounds a lot like a lot of other years. What, what do you got as your last story here? Uh,
0: the last story is, um, Russia has carried out, uh, pretty significant attacks on Kiev in retaliation for attacks on, uh, Belgorod over the weekend. We are slowly approaching two years, um, into this war in February. And uh it does not seem um that either Russia or Ukraine are going to back down. Um I think over the coming months or however long it takes, you know, we'll be keeping an eye on NATO membership and what that means in terms of uh continuing to support Ukraine because of course um an attack on One NATO member is an attack on all NATO members. Um, um, I don't know. I'm growing a little more concerned about the situation in Ukraine. One because we've taken our eye off the ball, at least uh, publicly. Um, Congress is certainly not concerned uh, or concerned enough, um, given the fact that they're not going to approve funding anytime soon. Um, And you know, but. Israel obviously uh has dominated the headlines, but this is a you know a significant story that we're gonna have to pay attention to, especially especially um with the twenty twenty four election looming um and what that's going to mean for our foreign policy in these regions
1: uh, yeah uh it's uh it's it's uh It's definitely true. The Russians in the past couple of weeks have been upping uh, the brutality of their attacks. We saw over the holiday break the largest aerial bombardment that Ukraine has seen since the beginning of the war. There were many, many, many civilian casualties. We must not lose sight of the fact that uh, uh, this war uh, has taken just a horrific toll on the people of Ukraine. Um, this is not a two-sided affair. Uh, this is an affair caused by Russian aggression, Russian disregard for international law, Russian disregard for the laws of war, uh, Russian inhumanity to their neighbors. Uh, and the one thing that's been containing that has been the support of the West for Ukraine uh, and the sense uh, in Russia that that support was going to go on. Uh, uh over the course of the past several weeks we have seen the republican party in the united states essentially come out and say no we're going to we're going to make that harder and harder uh and uh, we have not even seen the the kind of basic uh extension of support for ukraine that was supported uh requested by the administration uh uh, uh approved yet uh over the next 2 or 3 weeks that is going to be one of the biggest stories everybody is keeping on top of. Because if the United States does not approve it, uh, the message to Russia and to the people of Ukraine and to our allies in Europe would be absolutely devastating. It would be one of the most irresponsible acts uh, undermining our national security interests ever uh, uh, undertaken by the United States Congress. Even if they do approve it, If, as they approve it, there are all sorts of caveats and other signs to the Russians that, you know, if the Republicans win later this year, uh, it's going to be free sailing for Russia, easier sailing for Russia. Um, That would be uh, disastrous, but it would also be shameful for the United States. Uh, Riley, last story?
2: Yeah, so... um uh, kind of some shocking news out of South Korea. Um, the Democratic Party leader Lee Jae-myung was stabbed in the neck uh, during a visit to a new airport in Busan. Uh, he was stabbed by a man who was posing as a supporter um, who attacked him with a what I saw was a sashimi knife. Um, the attacker was overwhelmed by the crowd and apprehended by police, but they still don't know what his motive was. It is a pretty contentious and divisive election season as they're heading into elections. Lee is a former presidential candidate who lost the 2022 election by a pretty slim margin. Um, but now uh, there have been investigations into his business dealings, which have only heightened this tension. But it's shocking given that attacks on political figures are pretty rare in South Korea. This is by no means a kind of normal occurrence. Um, so really highlights the tension of heading into this election and really curious to see who this person was and what their motive was and if they're even able to find out.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, a very disturbing story, obviously, as any such uh, an, an attempt at violence is. Uh, I would say two things uh, to um, uh, our listeners. One is there are scores of elections scheduled for 2024. Um and as we look at 2024, we, we we need to recognize this is a year that's a potential uh, turning point politically for the entire planet, and it's not just the United States. Uh, you know, we have a major um, uh, elections in, I think, 73 countries. Uh, uh, you have mentioned one. Uh, you know, some elections are frauds, like the upcoming election in Russia. Most of them are not. Uh, And so we're going to have to uh, keep an eye on it. We should also recognize that uh, tensions in places uh, like South Korea have consequences uh, to national security, our national security, the security of our allies in the region. Uh, And you've heard a lot of rough talk from uh, Kim Jong-un and the North Koreans over the course of the past couple of days once again. Uh, and, uh, you know, they would undoubtedly seize upon tension and instability uh, if they had the opportunity. So, you know, again, here we are at the beginning of 2024, and what's the punchline? The wars of the past continue. The threats that we were worried about last year have carried over into this year, uh, and uh, the people in a lot of countries around the world are going to have a big voice in all of this. It's not something... Uh, remote and uh, left to uh, oligarchs and the few to work out, uh, as is the case here in the United States. This is an election year. And, um, uh, you know, we're going to be on that, uh, obviously, extremely closely. It's hard to believe that it's back. It's hard to believe we're back where we thought we would never be again with uh, Donald Trump as uh, the most likely Republican candidate. Uh, But between the elections and the trials and the other things coming up here, you know the rest of the world is going to be watching the U.S. in 2024 as attentively as we watch um, uh, uh, the rest of the world here. And uh, we'll cover both sides of it each and every day here at The Daily Uh, 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 and on our other podcasts, uh, which uh, resume production today. Uh, and we'll cover these issues from expert perspectives, as we always do. So we, uh, we welcome you back to the new year. We will try to be there at your side, providing something uh, useful each and every day. And uh, we hope you will join us. Until then, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Riley. And thank you, everybody, for listening.